Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. The State Treasurer of North Carolina has broad responsibilities over the finances of the state that also have big implications for public education. That includes state employee retirement and pension plans, the state health plan, and how the state finances school construction. This week, we're joined by State Treasurer Dale Falwell to talk about these topics and more. And later in the show, we're going to introduce you to an NC State professor, Dr. Michael Marr, who wants to be the next state superintendent of public instruction. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with headlines, our quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. A few weeks after House Speaker Tim Moore announced plans for a $1.9 billion statewide school bond bill, his Republican counterparts in the Senate pitched an alternative idea. Senate leaders have long opposed a new school bond in spite of $8 billion in building and renovation needs statewide. According to Senator Harry Brown, who's pictured here at a press conference announcing his bill and their bill last week, their pay-as-you-go plan would provide just over $2 billion each for public schools, community colleges, and the state's universities over the next nine years. The House bond plan, as currently written, could provide $1.3 billion for K-12 public schools. Four months after a shooting at Butler High School outside Charlotte claimed the life of a student, Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools began weapon searches in district high schools last week, including the use of wands on students for the first time. Eight CMS high schools were randomly selected for the new program. According to CMS, not all schools will, be, will search every student, but full school searches with all students moved to a central location will happen at least once. Finally, a Wake County Democratic lawmaker plans to introduce a bill that would expand the new North Carolina Teaching Fellows Program. As we noted on last week's show, the new Teaching Fellows Program that began last year has no stated diversity goals and does not include a single historically black college or university. Representative Cynthia Ball, pictured here, announced plans to introduce legislation to expand the number and the diversity of the North Carolina Teaching Fellows Program. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, the state treasurer has big responsibilities for the state's finances, and we are honored to have him on the show today. Del Folwell, state treasurer, welcome back to Education Matters. Thank you for having me, Keith. Absolutely. Well, um, I mentioned up front that um, you know all the various things that uh, are in your purview as mm -hmm. state treasurer that mm -hmm. really have a direct impact on education. Mm -hmm. And the, the first one I kind of wanted to tease out a little bit is on the issue of what I mentioned about uh, Senator Brown's proposal mm -hmm. and Speaker Moore how we build schools. The um, um, state of North Carolina, the last time we had a statewide school bond bill was mm -hmm. 1996. Mm -hmm. There are now, I guess we could call them two competing proposals. Mm -hmm. There's a, a House version that is another bond bill, mm -hmm. 1.9, and then um, uh, Senator Brown and his colleagues call it as a, sort of, a, they're creating a new fund, mm -hmm. probably managed by your office, but sure. it, uh, to, to put money in every year to sort of build up and pay as you go, as mm -hmm. they're calling. So I guess my first question to you is, have you ex examined both of these proposals? Do you have thoughts on, um, you know, from a, a financial you mm -hmm. know, a perspective, mm -hmm. what you think is best for North Carolina? Well, as the keeper of the public purse, our responsibility is to make sure that we're not spending beyond the debt, the state's ability to spend. Uh, public school construction is a, is a very important function, but it's generally for most of our lives has been a function of 
the local system. The local systems build the schools and then the state obviously operates them going forward. So there's a, there's a couple of things about uh, what you've said in your opening uh, question. Number one is, is that the proposals that are on the table now are within the debt affordability of North Carolina. We just uh, signed off on our debt affordability study. We submitted that to the General Assembly and the, uh, the governor. And so, number one, it's within that limit, which obviously that's very positive. So if we could do, if we wanted to do it, if our leaders wanted, they could do it. That's I mean, right. And it would be, it would be fine from a, you know, right. just risk credit. But when it comes to bonds, it, this is, is so important because uh, words matter. Uh, you know, your viewers don't wake up thinking about AAA bond ratings and unfunded liabilities and life expectancies and all these other things that may go into these issues about retirement, health care, and, and, and school construction. They wake up thinking about, you know, how we're going to best educate our kids or uh, have a safe streets or, you know, pave our roads, all the other core functions of state government. All this relates back to what we do at the Treasurer's Office. So as far as school construction is concerned, there's a lot of criteria. I was on the school board in Winston-Salem for eight That's years. Right, yeah. I was also, I'm also on the State Board of Education as the Treasurer. Uh, as well as the community college board. So all this is vitally important to me, not only as a taxpayer and a citizen, uh, but as the state treasurer. So very quickly, there's other things that, that, that I have that are very important. Number one is that the lottery. Uh, I was on the floor of the house as a member when the lottery was passed. And the question I get more often across this state, as I'm sure you do, all the is, time. is that I thought the lottery was going to take care of this. Right. Well, the fact is, when the lottery was passed, 40% of the lottery profit was supposed to go to public school construction. That hasn't happened over the last several years. If that money had not been supplanted, then we would have hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in the bank, not to borrow money, but actually in the bank to pay for public school construction. And, and, I, and I, I have to point, I mean, from, my, from what I understand, that's been a fairly bipartisan rating of right. the lottery funds. This is not something just happened in the last few years. But uh, as the judge once told us 20 years ago, sometimes uh, when you hit rock bottom, there's only two ways to go, sideways or straight up. So they are making the move toward right. replenishing that money, which is very positive. Number two, anytime we do public school construction, I hope the General Assembly will think about not penalizing those communities who have been investing in public school construction for the last many years, not waiting for the state to do something. This is not a dispersion about a rich county, poor county, urban or rural. This is just talking about the school systems that have gone to their voters and asked them to approve bonds. Uh, they should get the same amount of proceeds from any bond referenda uh, as anyone else does. And they can just use that money to pay off their debt yeah. because they've been doing the, the while they can do all along. Well, that, and that's that's a good point. But 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 you 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 raise a you mentioned the other the other counties, mm -hmm. um, our rural counties, our poorer counties. They don't have the same sort of tax base. So uh, sure, sure, they they that's part of why we have this big eight billion dollar right. gap is because they haven't been able to do anything, and they really do need a little extra help from the state. And I agree with you one hundred percent. And all, all that has to be factored in. Uh, we have some counties, North Carolina that the total amount of students from the kindergarten to the 12th grade is equal to an elementary school that's just a few blocks from where we're sitting right now. Mm -hmm. The total amount of students. So all this needs to be looked at. Uh, secondly, we need to build schools that are, that are permanent. You know, just like your viewers would build their house, probably with brick, with a roof that has a pitch on it so the water has somewhere to run off. Right. It's just smart common sense things. 
But then something else, which I've worked on for a great number of years, is the sales tax refund. Right. Uh, your viewers, as educated as they are, would be shocked to know that the public school districts in North Carolina do not receive a sales tax refund. We have race car teams that receive a sales tax refund. We have major hospital uh, conglomerates that receive, that have billions and billions of dollars that receive a uh, sales tax refund. We have private schools that receive a sales tax refund. The counties receive a sales tax refund. But the school districts in North Carolina do not. So that's where the, when, we, when state school districts buy paper and supplies and things for their schools, they're paying full sales tax, state sales tax. Right. And, and like I know from, I run a nonprofit. We get a sales tax refund sure. being a nonprofit, and which is helpful. Right. Know? As well as your church, your Boy Scouts, sure. Girl Scouts, and all these other issues. Uh, yeah. I mean, the public schools of North Carolina deserve a clean way of being entitled to a sales tax refund. This is especially important for rural North Carolina. In urban North Carolina, there's normally enough tax base to where when the uh, Wake County or Forsyth County wants to build a school, they transfer the land to the county, the county builds the school, the county gets all the sales tax refund because they're, uh, it's available to them, and then once the school builds, it goes back to the, to the state, I mean to the, to the school system. We just need to have, we just need to clean all of this up and this would, the sales tax refund would produce about $70 million a year if it's all calculated. Right. And it's been a few years since I looked at these numbers. But, but and, and at the end of the day, in addition to the tweaks about rural North Carolina, there needs to be, the money needs to follow the child. Uh, all this needs to be upfront. And if in the event we go to the voters and ask them, uh, or we issue a bond, we need to go to the voters and ask them their permission. Uh, and we need to do it in a clear way. Your viewers already know over the last three years, we had a Connect NC bond. Well, Connect sounds like roads. The Connect NC bond had nothing to do with right. roads. And then now we've had a Build NC program last year. You think Build NC had something to do with public school construction. Right. It has everything to do with roads. So we need to clean this up, go to the voters if a bond needs to be issued, and ask their permission. All right, we, we are, we're, we're, we're going to be running short on time. There's a couple of things. <laughs> okay. that those, those are, there's so much great information. A couple of things I want to ask you about. One is I do want to pull up. There's a chart we're going to show on the screen mm -hmm. that does show about what our, what our debt is, and, right. and I think it all factors into sort of what the state spends money on. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, it probably might surprise viewers when they see this if they can read it on the screen. You know, mo half of our sort of outstanding debt is really higher ed and college because, again, what we know sure. that most of this money is from the, uh, the state and local. But mm -hmm. I want to ask you about pension funding. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen some, you know, you've kind of put out some calls that we've got some what you consider some, you know, what you would say unfunded liabilities in our pension. Is this, sure. is, is this a looming crisis? Uh, yes, this is happening now. Not because I'm the treasurer of North Carolina. This is not emotional. It's not political. This is mathematical. And the fact is, is that the state pension plan, even though it's one of the five best funded in the United States, your, our retirees uh, from the state pension plan, they can't buy groceries at Harris Teeter or pay their Duke Power bill with relativity. They have to use cash. Right. So the pension plan, even though it's one of the five best funded, has not achieved its assumed rate of return on average for 21 years. Mm. And it's probably not going to achieve it going forward. The reason your list viewers should care about this is that this is the single biggest expense of the General Assembly or any local government is the amount of money they send us to the pension plan. This year it's going to be 13% of payroll. 13% of payroll just for the pension plan. So uh, the pension plan, even though it's one of the safest, has a lot of headwinds to it. And then the health plan 
according to Pew Research, is one of the most insolvent health plans in the United States. So we just need to keep investing in those. It sounds like what you're saying. We've got to look at sort of the long term. And we are, unfortunately, uh, Dale, we are, we are out of time yeah. in this segment. It always goes by so fast. We'll have to have you on back on so we can dig in a little bit more about pension and state health plan, too. Well, thank you, because education matters. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. He's got it down. Thank you so much for joining us. When we come back, we're going to be joined by an NC State professor who wants to be state superintendent of public instruction. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. In 2008-2009, more than 30,000 teacher assistants were employed in North Carolina public schools. How many were employed in the 2017-2018 school year? Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly guess A, 21,000? There are today roughly 8,500 fewer teacher assistants in our public school classrooms than there were 10 years ago in 2008-2009. Last week I mentioned that we plan to invite candidates who are announcing runs for state superintendent, and this week we welcome our first one to the show. He is Dr. Michael Mard. Um, uh, Michael is the Assistant Dean of Professional Education uh, in the uh, School of Education at NC State University. So thanks for being with us. Yes, sir. Thank you for yeah. having me. Yeah, we're excited to have because, I mean, the, it's, it may seem early in some ways, but the primary is scheduled for March of 2020, so a little right. over a year ago. And, um, you know, as candidates, you're, you're running as a Democrat and what you know, would be expected to be uh, a number of people running for that to uh, potentially challenge uh, uh, current state superintendent uh, Mark Johnson, although he hasn't formally announced his plans. Um, let me give a couple of quick um, uh, plugs or a little about you. This You're making your first run at public office, and I always yes. thank people for putting themselves out there. You, but you started uh, your career teaching um, high school in uh, both Forsyth and then here in Wake County, right? Yes, sir. All right. So tell me, so tell me a little bit... Um, Look, I just want to ask right out of the gate, because I think if anyone runs for office, chooses to run for office, um, mm -hmm. they need to know why. Like, and, and that's what voters should be wanting. Yeah. Why do you want to be state superintendent of public Absolutely. So, so I've gotten this question a couple of times, right? So, so I think folks look at it and say, well, you know, I, I have a good job at NC State. I, I've enjoyed the time that I've been there. I've been there for 12 years in teacher preparation. Um, and we've worked really hard uh, during my time there to, to provide high-quality preparation for teachers and prepare as many as we possibly could for the state of North Carolina. And I think the time has come for me to think about kind of the next step. So, so how do I, you know, continue to try to have an impact in the state in education? Um, I've been really fortunate that that I was able to teach here in North Carolina. Then I worked uh, in teacher preparation uh, at an HBCU, and then I then I moved over to NC State. Um, and then a few years ago, actually through the Public School Forum, I was uh, part of the EPFP, mm -hmm. and so went through the kind of policy fellowship route. And I've since done two education policy fellowships and found that um, I really enjoy the policy world. I, I think a lot of folks don't necessarily like that, um, but I do enjoy policy. I like thinking about it. I like thinking about kind of uh, policy that can have good, positive, productive impact on schools. Um, and then what's the next step? So, so in my time at, at State, I've, I've had the opportunity to help build some 
some great programs, some, some great collaborative programs. Um, we run a program with Chapel Hill, that's a partnership to prepare go. lateral entry teachers. So NC right? State and Carolina uh, do work together, except that's for right. on, a, on, a, on a week when NC State suffered a that, that's right. pretty difficult. That's right, except, you know, <laughs> on those tough nights. As I said, I'm, not a, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, impartial about a lot of things, but I think everyone who watches the show regularly knows my Tar Heel allegiances. Yeah. So. Well, and I, you know, I have two daughters who are high school students now. Okay. Uh, one is getting ready to go to college next year. Uh, the other one's a freshman. And so kind of personally, professionally, everything seems to be leading to this point now. What's the next big step? Um, and so I'm, I'm very interested in becoming the next state superintendent. Well, let me ask you, you, you mentioned being involved in education policy. You actually have um, uh, a formal role you, that you've been involved in. You've been working in, like you said, teacher preparation at mm -hmm. NC State, but you're also serving as vice chairman of uh, the North Carolina Professional Educator, Prepar Pre Educator Preparation and Standards Commission, as we sometimes call PEPSIC. Yeah. We actually need to have a show about that because I want to sort of explain to viewers. But, um, yes. but that's about really looking at teacher pipeline and how do we make sure that we're getting enough teachers, but that they're they're um, uh, prepared, um, um, you know, how we want them for our children. Yeah. So, so we've covered. So, so actually, in the in the past year and a half, that commission has done quite a lot of work, not only around teacher preparation, kind of standards, and then thinking about kind of pipeline issues as well. But we've also looked at kind of licensing standards and and how do we, you know, in some instances, ease the pathway for certain professionals to move into teaching. Um, we recently, you know, had a a policy where we looked at uh, allowing um, school psychologists who are appropriately licensed in other states to be able to transition into positions in North Carolina more easily than perhaps they could do that in the past. So we are interested not only in pipeline issues, but we're interested in licensing issues and standards issues as well. So we've also established some policies around teacher testing. Um, and so all of those things together, I think, within that kind of policy realm are really important work that 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 commission has done and it's it's been a uh, a great experience being able not only to work with other folks who work in teacher preparation but we work with district superintendents and and HR professionals yeah, what do they need what, right? what are their real yeah, issues and so we really have good conversations about sometimes you know teacher prep programs and districts might be at kind of um, crossways right in terms of what either standards or how we want uh, to establish the kinds of rules for people coming into the profession. All right, I want to go through uh, in our time we have left just a sort of a few of the sort of you know hot button issues that people do ask about. Um, um, well, it's not that hot button really, but the idea of school calendar flexibility. Two bills were introduced this week. Seems to come up right. every year and seems to die every year that yep, we don't absolutely. allow district public schools, traditional public schools, um, to set their own calendars. We allow. Right charter schools and all restart schools and all sorts of other things. What do you think about right. that? So, so not only in my work in the Standards Commission, but, but in my work in teacher preparation, I've always been an advocate for kind of outcomes-based measures. So, so we really need to focus on what are the outcomes that, that result from whatever it is, the program that we run. And so I think one of the things that's happened is within teacher preparation, we've had that kind of shift towards more autonomy for teacher preparation programs. And I'm actually very interested in district level autonomy in the same way, right? So not only for school calendar flexibility, but also some budget flexibility. Mm -hmm. So we have one-to-one uh, -one districts in the state that have textbook funds and they can't transfer those funds from textbooks to instructional supplies. That doesn't make sense to me, right? So we need to think about what kinds of flexibility can we provide local districts that make smart sense, right? So not only calendar flexibility, but budget flexibility, um, you know, funding or and, and some, yeah. Are our teachers paid enough? I don't think so. 
right? Um, I, you know, I'm not an economist, but one of the ways that I look at this is we've had a critical teacher shortage for quite some time in North Carolina. In any other industry, when you have a critical shortage of talent, it seems to me that salaries follow. We've not had that in North Carolina, and you know I hear all the. I, I've seen what's happened over time. We've had some raises for beginning teachers, but we've done a lot to disincentivize veteran teachers. Right. Right. They are critical to schools. Right. They establish culture and community, and they help bring those new teachers along. So, so yeah, I think we need to do something about base salary uh, before we do anything else. Um, um, our current state superintendent has been, um, you know, very visible and out there um, on issues of school choice. Cele- you know, we just, um, you know, celebrating, uh, you know, advancing charters, uh, private school vouchers. Um, mm-hmm. If you were elected state superintendent, um, is um, sort of where is, you, is that going to be a priority for you um, as far as uh, school choice? So the way I look at it is, you know. When I started my, my time at NC State, we had, I believe, 100 charter schools in North Carolina. That seemed to me to be a, a pretty good number in terms of what we were trying to accomplish in, in, in innovation and looking at different models for, um, in terms of flexibility for schools, right? Um, we seem to have far surpassed that number now. And, and I do have some concerns about the, the growth in general um, and the fact that if we've got underperforming schools, and we don't seem to be holding them to the same standard as we do our districts, our, our traditional public mm-hmm. schools. So by no means am I an opponent of, of charter schools, right? When I was at NC State, we routinely place student teachers at charter schools. We recruited, I personally recruited to charter schools, to mm-hmm. high schools in particular, to, to encourage some young folks to move into teacher education. Um, so I do think we need to look at, though, uh, getting back to kind of that LEA autonomy piece, right? So to what degree are we providing our traditional LEAs with the same kinds of flexibility that we provide some of the different charters? How about um, the use of taxpayer funds for uh, private school voucher programs of 90% religious schools? Yeah. You know, we've, we on our show, we've, we've highlighted some of the gaps in transparency. Where do you come down on that? Yeah, so, so I've been a, a strong advocate for public schools my whole life. I'm a, I'm a product of public schools. Uh, I'm not necessarily in favor of private dollar or, or public dollars making their way into private schools. Uh, again, you know, this gets back also to an accountability issue, right? So we hold our schools to a certain standard, both uh, traditional public schools and charter schools, right? We're holding them to one standard. But we have no standard for private schools that are receiving these public dollars, and I, that, that concerns me a lot. All right. Last word from you. What do you want people that are watching us to remember when they, if they hear Michael Marr again? What do you want them to remember when they see your name on the ballot? Yeah, so I, I think what I want people to realize is that um, I've been a strong advocate for public schools my whole life. And, and I think what's important is that I've built my way to this point uh, in terms of my professional career. I started in the classroom, I've worked in teacher education, and then I've done policy work here at the end. And I, get an, I have a full understanding of kind of the complexity of the challenges we face and, and how we Thanks so much for joining yeah. us. And again, thank you for throwing your hat in the ring. We All appreciate right. it. Thanks. After the break, this week's final word. I received an email from a viewer this past weekend. He was watching our recent segment where we discussed disparities in discipline for black students versus white students. He said he thought we were causing more hatred and disparity by talking about the issue the way we did. The email reminded me of a call I received from a senior House staffer at the General Assembly a few years ago. He didn't like a story I had written about takeaways teachers were facing and he said the biggest reason enrollment in teacher preparation programs in North Carolina was down was because people like me kept talking about how badly teachers are treated. He said we were hurting recruitment by pointing out low pay, over-testing, and lack of resources. Now, 
I quickly responded that I thought the actual low pay itself and the lack of support was probably a bigger problem than my article. Now, that being said, I don't like focusing on what's wrong. I mean, that's not fun. I love our public schools and our public school teachers. I think they do an amazing job every day and they change far more lives than I'll ever be blessed to have the chance to do. They deserve to be highlighted and celebrated and we try to do that too. But I don't believe things ever get better or change if you simply choose to be quiet or take no positions even when you see a problem. So as long as we have a platform and a voice, we're gonna keep telling the truth. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.